0: All right, so whoa, people have appeared. It's like magic. So, pray and people appear, and so sort of like that in praise service too. All right, so um, we're in Ephesians chapter one. I don't have the clicker. Do you guys are you are you good to go up there? Okay, so I'm going to jump into Ephesians chapter one. Now we're not going to. I've I've been in this. I'm just going to do some review. And uh, and you got the? Did you get the latest PowerPoint that I put up? Okay. Um, and so i 'm just going to run through it fairly briskly here uh, where we 've been and if you 're looking for a handout, you know what i didn 't bring new hand the ones you had from last week will work if you had if you were looking for a handout i 'm picking up the seventh point of the outline, and just by way of review we 've been in the book of Ephesians talking about christ 's blessings, and uh, the theme of ephesians is is about building the body of Christ and the image and likeness of christ it 's a great time to study Ephesians because uh, man people definitely have image issues in in our culture today and they really don't they you got to know who you are in Christ or you're going to be very confused during a time like we have right now uh both covid and this current situation um with the uh with the uh, rioting and the protesting so um and so we need to make sure we understand who we are in Christ and what Jesus Christ is turning us into and that is to his very image and so I got new homework for you this week because next week I'll be hitting the prayer. So you guys need to be uh prepared to read uh if you haven't already read it. Uh, verses uh really 15 through the end of the chapter 15 through 23 we'll be discussing that next week. So uh this this uh this this book is really revealing our true identity and in Ephesians 1 and 2 it deals with Christ's deity. So we see Christ in his deity um and uh and Ephesians 3 and 4 deals with the church's unity as we understand what God is doing in time through the church 5 and 6 deals with Christian's duty and the book gets practical as we learn how um how uh, being in Christ and part of the church really impacts our our life and our families in a practical way and the world at large so Ephesians 5 and 6 is really one of the some of the most practical teaching you're going to get in the New Testament so I'm looking forward to getting to those chapters and then, we've been talking about our inheritance, and uh, we talked about how verses 1 and 2 of this chapter deals with Paul's introductions, Christ's blessings to us, and then Paul's prayer, which we'll get to next time. And uh, so, uh, as far as the blessings, we've already covered uh, six of these. Uh, and so, in verses 1 through 14, <clears throat> and I'm going to skip ahead to that um, on the for the sake of this PowerPoint. Uh, you might need to know that, Ray, because we have... One of the key verses is that we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, and uh, that's found there in verse, in verse, in verse, in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And that word "all" is a big word, you know. Ephesians four six I've mentioned it. We'll get around to that, but Ephesians four six says. There's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Man, that's, that's, some, good, that's some good stuff to think about uh, as a Christian, especially right now. And so uh, we're in a section of this text where we're counting our blessings. Uh, we're counting our blessings. Like the old song says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And so when we're counting our blessings, what we realize is in verse 4 that He has chosen us. It says, as according as, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so we spent some time on talking about uh, how we are chosen in him and what that means. And if you weren't in on that, you want to go back to our set, our uh, series in, um, in the listen section on our website. You can go back to that. And especially for those of you that want to get our take on does, what does that mean? you know, was, did God have me uh, predetermined? Uh, by the way, the second thing we looked at, the second blessing is that he has predestinated uh, us into the adoption of children by Christ and to himself. So those two concepts of being chosen and predestinated, uh, you know, does that mean that, that God had a, in his sovereignty, had a select group of people uh, and those were the only people that he wanted to have saved in contradiction to what John three sixteen says and and what uh, P- Peter says, that God isn't willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. How do we reconcile all that? Well, we reconciled it, so you need to go back and listen to that. Um, but uh, then we saw that he made us accepted in the Beloved. And that really, each one of these helps gives us, uh, gives us a better understanding of how the Bible really puts that together. So this is dealing with the deity of Christ. Christ is God. So before we were even created, he had a plan, that his plan of redemption Uh, the people that he would choose to redeem will be found in Christ. They will be found uh, predestined uh, to be conformed to his image, uh, which we went to the book of Romans 8, and we looked at that very clearly and put all that together. And so we have all of these blessings that are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) And the third thing we saw is that he has made us accepted in the beloved. Amy, Joe, could you do me a favor? Yeah, I need something to drink. So... Uh, And then he's, so we talked about who the beloved was, we're accepted in Christ. Uh, The beloved means Israel, it means means the church. But in this case, we talked about how it means Jesus Christ. He is the beloved son in whom God was well pleased. So we spent some time on that. Then we saw that (coughs) he redeemed us in verse 7. The text there says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And so, of course, our redemption comes through his blood. Forgiveness of sins and the riches of his grace. We talked about that. And then the fifth thing that we saw, the fifth blessing that we saw, is that he's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And so we saw in Ephesians 1 and verse 8 that was the case. And uh, I'm pausing here just because I feel like coughing my head off. Can you mute me for just a moment? Can you believe that? This thing looks like a Garth Brooks mic. Or uh, like I got something wrong, you know. I had tuna for lunch. Maybe I have tuna on my mustache or something. I don't know. But anyway. Um <clears throat> or I'm gonna do some aerobics. You ever seen those aerobics people? They put these things, <laughs> they put these things on and they start exercising, you know. And uh maybe that would be embarrassing. All right, so so the fifth thing that we see is that He is he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And, uh, and so that's really where we parked the car, and I really I took some time last week. Uh, and you can go back and listen to all that as well. So that leads us to the sixth thing, which we also talked about last week, was that He has made known unto us the mystery of His will. And I probably could have went on and on about that. That was really good. Uh, all of these, again, they build on one another. And we talked about how God... Um, you know he's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances against us, and he's he's got a time yet future where he's going to judge the world. It's interesting as we look at uh, at that particular thing. The word predestinated pops back up again in verse eleven. It says, "In in whom also we have obtained an an inheritance." And I've been really talking a lot about our inheritance because we get all of this because Jesus Christ is the one that possesses it, and He gives it to us. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom uh, also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the holy spirit of promise now we 're going to be par- we 're going to be talking about this in verse thirteen here in just a few moments. But again, these build on one another. The the mystery of God's will is such. This is my lovely bride. She doesn't want to be on camera, do you, Amy Jo? She she did her hair up just for y'all now. So uh, thank you so much. I'm going to take a moment and chug a lug this thing real quick. I used to say, I'm going to take a swig of this because where I grew up, Taking a swig was, you could take a swig of tea, you could take a swig of water. I didn't know until I was preaching one day and said, excuse me, I need to take a swig of this. And after church, some, some dear saint informed me. They said, Brian, do you know what that means? Well, I thought I knew what it meant, so tell me, what does it mean? So anyway, I guess that's not what you do with water. You drink water and you swig other things. I don't know. But anyhow... um, so there's no. This is water, just so everyone knows, and I'm drinking water. All right. So um, you may not know that by listening to me, though. So Paul Paul gives us more insight to the mystery of his will here, and then he and he extrapolates it out to. And I like the way it's it's worded here, just for all of you guys out there that are in the Calvin camp. Um, it says it says that we should be to the praise of his glory in verse twelve, who first trusted in Christ, and, I, and I've talked I talked about that last week. And then it gets in literally in how you trust Christ in verse 13. And he even puts a kind of a, he he tells you that it is after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Because you don't have the Spirit of God until after you get saved. You're not saved until after you get saved. I mean, just common sense would tell you that. Uh, It wasn't because it was predetermined and predestined. Once you come to that place where you yield to God's will and you receive Christ, you obey the gospel, it is after that that this inheritance is then bequeathed and bestowed upon you, right? I was born in 1970. In 1968, my parents had no plans of giving me an inheritance because I wasn't born yet, right? You must be born again, right? Once you're born again, then God the Father through his son Jesus, has already prepared the supply of your inheritance. But you're not getting into that inheritance. You're not getting the blessing of that until after you're born again. And yes, God knows how many people are going to get saved, but you don't, nor do I. And the the reality is it's offered to all. And so part of the judgment, by the way, of those who don't get saved is not receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. So it's not about a limited atonement. Uh, I believe partial the judgment <clears throat> that will come is the fact that you know i 'm not judged for the murder of jesus christ i 'm saved we just read it uh, the remission of sins comes because of the blood of Jesus Christ without the blood there's no, we we are not just remission i i 'll point it out last week by the way i 'm going to get on a hobby horse for a second that in, in Christ, right our sins are blotted out is <clears throat> in a, as in a, or basically Peter was talking about the, the sins being blotted out. Um in in Colossians two, he was there's a difference between when Peter was preaching in Acts three, telling the those those Jewish believers that, you know, let's pray that our sins get blotted out, versus when Paul comes along and the fullness of the mystery of the church is revealed, and what we would count as the seven mysteries typically in our circles, um, because that's what the Bible gives us, <clears throat> then in Colossians two, as Paul now has this uh is now received these uh, mysteries from the Lord, which these aren't things we can't know. These are things that were hidden that we now do know. He says that, that in Christ we've blotted out, the that Jesus is blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was, was past tense against us. So we're not working our way into God's grace hoping he will blot out our transgressions. Colossians 2.14 says he did blot out our transgressions. And he did, in doing that, he spoiled principalities and powers. And so, Uh, And so these are really important principles that we need to remember uh, because it's already been done. When you get born again, that's one of the blessings is your sins are blotted out, but not before. Uh, And so you need to, and so, and you could die and go to hell. You don't have to wait around. God's not a robot just saying, okay, these are the people who are going to get saved. These are the ones that aren't, And, and and then he has to quicken you before you can even be quickened. Which is technically what is taught in a, in a philosophy that comes all the way through um, uh, the philosophers of Greece, then through um, a lot of people don't know this either. That ph- I talked about this early, so I need to get off the the, the, the hobby horse. But a lot of the, what is confusing about Ephesians one and in Romans eight is not biblical at all. It's philosophical arguments that there that are extra biblical. Uh, Thought processes though they 're not even found when you just take the Bible literally and you believe what it says in order it all lays itself out very clearly and it really reveals the character of god's uh, of god's nature and that's it's, that's really what's cool about it so I better get moving here because i 'm going to run out of time so <clears throat> we talked about some false teachings and uh, around that which was post millennialism and universal salvation and um and of course uh those are heresies. So let's go to let's go to this last one. The last thing is really important here in verses 13 and 14. I already read verse 14, but I'm going to reread it. In whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after you believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now we have a lesson, lesson number four discipleship that deals with this. Verse 15 says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... Uh, cease not to give thanks for you. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I missed something. Uh, which is the earnest? That's what I'm looking for. Which is the earnest? Verse fourteen of your of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. All right. So let's talk about this. So if you're if you are following on an outline, the fill in the blank is He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise and provided for us. The earnest of our inheritance. So, okay, so we're back to this word inheritance. Um, and inheritance is what this is about. God is is telling us what all these spiritual blessings in heavenly places are about. And one of the biggest blessings that we have is having the Spirit of God in us. So what's what are we talking about? Being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and uh, this issue of it being the earnest of our inheritance. You guys had to put some earnest. Did you have to put earnest money down? Right, so... When you uh, when you go buy a house, you got to put put earnest money down. And so, uh, what what the Lord is telling us is His His earnest of our inheritance, uh, what we what we receive in Christ is the Holy Spirit. So when you get saved, you don't have all of the. Even though I'm seated together in heavenly places, I have not yet sat in heavenly places. Even though my affection is set in heavenly places, I'm actually not in heavenly places yet. Though it's as though I am, right? So why is it as though I am? Well, because Christ is in me and I am in him. And so just like a married couple is one flesh, we're one, we come together on our marriage night, we come one flesh physically, and then God counts us as one unit from that point forward. And uh, and so uh, we're one. So even though Amy's across the room, uh, we're, we're still in this together, we're one. So even though Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, I'm as good as there because that's who, who is in me and I am in him. And that's why the mystery of Christ in the church is also found in the book of ephesians so these all these principles continue to to kind of extrapolate out as you continue to meditate on them and think about them and so this issue of christ being in us uh, with the spirit and it being the earnest of the inheritance is really a really important principle and so we're sealed with the holy spirit of promise which assures us jesus is good for the purchase right the purchase of what well the purchase of us Uh, we've been purchased which by the way when Paul was writing this in Ephesus, and he was writing this to a large Gentile audience, not just Jews, but even the Jews at that time, a lot of them were bond slaves. Uh, and and uh, the predominant po- the population was under bondage in regard to being slaves, which we look at that and go, oh, that's terrible because slavery is terrible. But, frankly, the population today is under bondage more than they realize. Someday the economy is going to shift. There's going to become a world leader. Uh, the Bible will call him that the man of sin he uh, called the Antichrist, whatever you want to call him, son of perdition, and the whole economy of the world is going to shift, and then everybody's going to realize what kind of bondage they're in. Uh, and so, uh, economic bondage is is what's going on today. So, similar in the Roman era, uh, uh, back in the first century, um, there was a lot of bo- a lot of the population were slaves. And so, when he talks about the purchased possession, there's a lot of people that could understand what it would be like uh, to be enslaved, uh, literally under bondage. And so um, that's not a knock, though. Remember, in the Old Testament, Joseph was a slave. Joseph was uh, in bonds. Even when he became second in command, uh, he was still underneath the the thumb, in essence, or the authority of of um, the powers of Egypt. And of course, that played out later for his family. Uh, they ended up becoming bondmen and becoming slaves until the Lord liberated them. And so this is what happens: <clears throat> Jesus Christ has bought us out of slavery. The biggest ruse that this is so appropriate for the current culture, the biggest ruse propagated on humanity today <clears throat> is that you 're not a slave and and if we 're going to talk about slavery, and we ought to right now with the climate that where everybody 's fired up about you 're either a slave to christ or you 're a slave to sin <clears throat> you 're either bought under sin or you're you're bought from sin i mean you 're either bound to it or you're not you 're either free from sin through Christ or you're not. He's either bought you out of the penalty and the bondage of sin, or you're still tied to it, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so a lost man, and I was one once, thinks, oh, no, man, I'm a free man. I'm an American man. I'm a whatever. <clears throat> the reality is I don't care how free you think you are. If you're not born again, you are bound to sin. And you can't keep your own rules. I promise you that because I used to be self-righteous too. So the self-righteous man says, oh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and then you find out you can't even do what you're going to do. Your sin will lead you into places you don't want to go. And so <clears throat> so the bottom line is, you're either bought by Christ or you're not. And if you're not bought by Christ, you are a slave to sin. Ergo, you are a slave to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. And you may not like that, but that's the truth. That's why Jesus Christ makes us free. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I didn't like it either. Sometimes you, God allows those things, or we reap what we sow, into to the place that we finally realize we need out of bondage. It's kind of like the story of the prodigal son. You know, he goes away, and he's living with the pigs, and he finally realizes that he spent all of his inheritance, that, you know, man, it's my, my dad's slaves, right? His servants are better off than I am. I think I'll go live as a slave. The, Christ's slave is way better uh, than the world's free man. I promise you that. And so... Um, at any rate, I just want to throw that out there because uh, we don't want to lose our identity. This is about us finding our identity, and so I- embrace the fact that Jesus Christ has purchased you with His own blood. This is also why that's important <clears throat> because we're really of no value until that happens. And this is also counter culture and uh, counterintuitive to a lost person, someone listening to me right now that may be lost. You might think I'm an idiot stick, but the reality is you're the idiot stick because your real value is not in. Your education, it's not in your pedigree, it's not in your hard work, it's not in your job status, it's not in how much money you have in the bank or how sly you are. Um, the real, our real, our real value is in the fact that Christ bought us because He has He has esteemed us valuable. If it wasn't for God caring for humanity, God could have written off humanity and blown us away and killed us in the garden as as a race. He could have just if He was a eugenicist. Um, who was that I was bringing up a few weeks ago, Ray? I forgot her name. Um, Margaret Sanger, right? If God was a eugenicist, thank you, like Margaret Sanger, he could have just, you know, he could have just eliminated our race with Adam, or he could have waited to the to the garden and, or till uh, the flood of Noah and said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not even going to deal with humanity anymore. You know, I'm going to take some other creation of mine, give them a free will, and see how I go. I mean, he could have done that. He d- he didn't. And because he didn't, he is the one who has, has not only he's made the human race valuable, and, and even more so, he's made us Christians even more valuable because Christ is what he used to redeem us from the curse of the law. It's unbelievable the value that God has bestowed upon us. If God didn't bestow his value, Christ's blood, his precious blood upon humanity, upon the church in particular, uh, we, would, we wouldn't have any value. As a matter of fact, we didn't have any value in the economy of peoples, right? It was the Jew and the Gentile. The church comes along. We're born. We were a mystery. We weren't even in the economy until Christ shed his blood on on the cross. So there's a lot of these things that are interesting, and I'm kind of backing up to the previous point. But that's why the earnest of the of – the, even what the, the most valuable thing in a Christian's life, tangibly right now in, in Brian Hedge's life, is not my flesh. And it's not my blood, though it's very important for me to function in this world. Right? If you drain the blood out of my veins, I'm going to croak over dead and go to heaven. Uh, or you rip all the skin off my body, uh, You know, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going I'm going to croak over dead. That's still not the most valuable thing in my life. The most valuable thing in my life is the Spirit of God that seals my soul because that's what's going to go absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what's going to assure me that I get a resurrected body. That's what's going to assure me that... That uh, I get to go on in eternity future. So this this blessing of being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and again it says the Holy Spirit of promise uh, that's provide it provides the earnest of our inheritance. It's in essence like the down payment, but really like what the earnest money does on a on a we use that term to this day in house tra- housing transactions. Like when you do a car when you're buying a car, they say give us a down payment. When you buy a house, they say give us the earnest money. Why is that? <clears throat> because they want to make sure you're good for the balance of the loan amount. Right? So before they rack up twenty grand in interest on you, they want to make sure that you're good for the balance of that. So here, we need a thousand dollars on your hundred thousand dollar purchase, or we need twenty five hundred dollars on your two hundred thousand dollar purchase. And so what that really means isn't that you're good for twenty five hundred dollars or what have you. That means you're good for the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that you're putting down on this property it's the earnest. And so really what the spirit of god does is confirm to us through the word of god that he is good for the balance of the transaction. And that's why you need to read the contract for any any contract. Have you ever signed a home loan? It's like this thick. Maybe it's that thick. Okay, I'm exaggerating. It is thick. Now it's electronic, so you got to do DocuSign. But anyway, uh it's thick. <clears throat> Guess what guys? This is the contract. This is the promise. And you' got all these precious promises in this book, and you don't even understand what you got until you have the spirit of God in you, the, the earnest of your inheritance. It's the spirit of God that gives us an ability to understand this book. and it's no wonder then that when people start to doubt their salvation, that people who are ju- legitimately born again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? So the Word of God is what gives us assurance. it's like a contract. What do you know about your home? It's what's written in the contract, that earnest money. You're signing, we even say, you're signing your life away. Why? Because now you're going into a contract saying, I am good for the balance of this massive transaction. Well, guess what? Christ is saying, I'm good for the balance of what I'm promising you. Number one, we wouldn't have any value without Christ. But number two, he puts so much value on us, he's the one that has to, to be the one that fulfills it. It's outstanding. It's awesome. Truly awesome. Jeff Trude, wherever you may be. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that assures us Jesus is good for the purchase, possession, which is our body. Now flip over to chapter 4 and verse 30. If you have a Bible or a tablet or whatever you're doing, check out what the Lord says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. All right, so you are sealed until the day of redemption. He's good for the the, the purchased possession, and that purchase is our body. So going back to the beginning of our list of, in the inheritance, we remember that we're spiritually adopted, then physically adopted in Romans 8, uh, 15 and Romans eight twenty three And the Spirit <clears throat> is the seal that Jesus is good for the promise of our inheritance, which is the physical adoption of our bodies. So Paul was giving us insight to what Jesus already spoke concerning the Spirit, right? So when he walked the earth, The Spirit of God came upon people, and it departed. And that's why David said, you know, take not thy spirit from me. You'll remember in Psalm 51, verse 11, David said, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So David was wanting to be upheld uh, by the free spirit of God. But he was like, don't take it from me, because he knew that he could lose it conversely, that's a different concept in the New Testament. The concept of the Spirit came upon people, that wasn't new. In the old, that happened in the Old Testament. And every once in a while, you'll hear people say, oh, Lord, what is that? He'll, uh, people will say, uh, you know, well, I'm not going to get into that right now. But anyway, so the concept of the Spirit coming upon people wasn't new in the Old Testament. Uh, but what but was revolutionary was that you could have the indwelling Holy Spirit and not lose it. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's something that people, well, even in the church age right now, people still struggle with that reality. But we don't believe that because we want to believe it. We believe it because that's what the Bible teaches us. And that's also what Jesus was promising. So we wouldn't even understand this if it wasn't for the Spirit of God itself. So in John chapter 14 and verse 16, when Jesus was walking the earth and praying uh, for his disciples, he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever how long is forever that's forever eternity yeah it's not like he's going to abide with you for 2 weeks and he's going to leave and he's going to come back and he's going to no the spirit of god's going to abide with you forever jesus is saying this before the spirit of god's abiding in people forever he's saying i'm going to send this this is the reason it's a comforter because he's with you forever so there is kind of a, a dual a, a dual application, right? He's also with this church forever, right? I, lo, I'll be with you always, even till the end of the world. Well, is he talking about the disciples, or is he talking about the church? Yes, because the church just is comprised of disciples. It's not a building. It's not a denominational name. It's the born-again, called-out local New Testament church. The people that formulate the local New Testament church, Listen, the Spirit of God's going to dwell in those people, and there go, thereby I should say, He's going to dwell in the church until He catches us away, and uh, and boy, that's going to be a bad day for the world. I, t- I tell you what, I just got to say that you shut the church down for a month, and look what happens in the world. You know, two months, and man, it's crazy. Craziness is eruption, erupting, and so it's it's nuts. So. A social, you know, I got to be careful. I'm going to back that up. So anyway, I just want to say so much, but I won't. So even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Right? Now, he's saying shall be because, well, this hasn't happened yet because he hasn't died on the cross. Uh, but he's going to be, he's going to be, he's going to be with you. Okay? Okay, they can get that. Um, um And he notices this. It says that the world can't receive it. So verse same chapter, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, so if you need a, a definition that's found there, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now this is important too because we've already covered in Ephesians chapter 1 how important the word all is. In verse 3, we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So if we have all spiritual blessings... Guess what we need? We need the Holy Spirit of God to teach us all things. This book is eternal, and His blessings are eternal. We can't even handle the download of blessings that we get without the Spirit of God teaching us all things. I mean, some people think you can read this book like one time through. Oh, I got it. I've read it all sixty-six books. Great. I've read this book through probably fifteen times at least, or more. I don't even know how many times. Um, And you know what? I mean, cover to cover, and. I still don't know. I still don't know. Every time I read it I'm like that's amazing. Where did that well it's it's a spiritual it's the mind of Christ. It's his word. The Holy Spirit of God teaches us all things. Your inheritance is so incredible. You need a divine person. You need God in you to read through that that manual of uh, of documents that when you simply... is a simple... Have you ever signed... Again, I can't get away from... I just have people here that just sign their life away. Not really. They're going to be in good stead. But uh, but anyway, but they haven't really. But a lot of people do. Uh, sign their life away on a... I mean, literally, like you're... You can get upside down even. Where... Back a few years ago with the interest rates, right, you, you could you could buy people. If you're dumb enough to listen to somebody who says you can afford that, don't ever believe that. You need to do your own calculations, just a word to the wise. You can afford what you can really afford. Don't, tell, don't let people tell you what you can afford. So a lot of people a few years ago got upside down, and then they're like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But you know how easy it was to get in trouble? They just gave you this little document, and they said, here, sign here, sign here, sign here. And if you don't want to, you don't have to read any of it. You can just sign it, sign it. What's this? Oh, that's a variable interest rate. Don't worry about it. Interest rates have been low for the last five years. Oh, okay. Well, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign. You know, next thing you know, their, their, their mortgage is just like flying through the roof. Interest rates go crazy, whatever. And, and all of a sudden, they can't make their house payment. Well, guess what? They didn't know what they were signing. But when you get saved, the reality is you understand Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and he rose again the third day. But you don't really have a full grasp of what this thing is about. It takes the Spirit of God to give you discernment, to understand even what the blessings are. I mean, this, this life that you inherit in an instant when you get saved is going to go on and on and on and on for eternity, just like this book that we're reading. And it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible—this Bible is an incredible book. It's not just a, a book. You know, I, I like all the I like all the wise guys out there. Well, it was written and all these people 2,000 years ago. They're making stuff up, whatever. That's because you haven't read it, obviously. So— I'll listen to you once you read it from cover to cover, and then we'll talk about it. But anyway, that's another story. So in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says this, and, be, and this is a progression that happened. Because there's, even in the Bible, it's a progressive revelation. That's another cool thing about God's mind is he presents it in a way that he gives you in his created being. Even if you're not a saved person, he gives you the benefit of using the brain that he created. And scientists are just now figuring, well, they're not just now figuring, they got stupid for about 200 years. And now they're just awakening once again to the reality, wow, that people are, you know, there's a divine design behind every human. Duh, right? We've known that. So they got stupid for a couple of years and got sideways with evolution. So the reality is that God even gives us his Bible in a progressive revelation because he gives us a brain to process it. So in John chapter, uh, or Acts chapter 1, things start to change and And the word says here in chapter 1, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Well, what kind of talk is that? Baptized with the Holy Ghost? And boy, there's a lot of false teaching about that today. But we know what the word "baptize" it means immerse, right? It means that that's what "baptize" literally means. That's a that's a word that's been transliterated into the English language from the Greek word "baptismo." So they created an English word, so we didn't lose the meaning. And so, and so, he's saying, "Hey, there's a promise that the, that you're going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost." Of course, in Acts two four, we know that happens. It says, "And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the, as the Spirit gave them utterance." If you got questions about that, you can go back to my Acts series. It's on the internet on under Listen. Go to the first to the second chapter there, and you can listen on what that's all about. But notice it doesn't say sealed here; it's just being filled, and and uh, and so uh, the promise of of that we are reading about in Ephesians in Acts chapter two and verse four is over Peter's head. He didn't understand the sealing of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter two or Acts chapter three. That stuff was still yet to be revealed. But we get to Acts chapter 10, and Peter even realizes something's going on here with this spirit. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, uh, this is Peter preaching to uh, Gentile people uh, who don't know the Lord Jesus. And he says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on on them which heard the word. And they had the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because on the Gentiles also was poured out. Notice this, it says, the gift of the Holy Ghost. This was a unique thing. So the people that had followed Christ, that were Christ followers, that believed Jesus Christ had died for their sin, was buried and rose again, which at this time were primarily Jews um, or proselyte Jews, they they, they didn't just receive the Spirit of God by hearing a message. Every one of them, they believed Jesus lived, they believed Jesus died, they believed He was their Messiah, uh, they believed He was coming back. And if they believed that, they went and got baptized. And after they got baptized, the Spirit of God came upon them because their faith was sight. They already saw Jesus. But now you go out to Caesarea and you preach to these Gentiles. They don't know. They've never seen Jesus. They just believe what's being preached. And by believing, God blesses them and they receive the Spirit of God. The gift of the Holy Ghost comes upon them. This is like blowing the mind of all the Jews that were watching, including Peter. And Peter's just kind of like... uh this kind of seems upside down and backwards, but they've got the Spirit of God, so I guess we'll baptize them now? And and they're like, yeah, let's do it. So they went and baptized them. And so things are changing because Acts is a transition, a transitionary book. And so, um, and then as Paul, uh, Paul, of course, in Acts 9 is born again. And then as he begins to uh, preach among the Gentiles, this is the way from that point forward, people are coming to faith. By the end of the Uh, first century, of course, uh, you know, John died in 90, 90, well, we don't know exactly when he died, but he was alive almost to the end of the first century, John the Apostle. But after that, there wasn't very many people alive that had seen Jesus, literally. Uh, You know, those people were dying off, so everybody got saved by grace through faith, right? Not because they'd seen Jesus running around in Jerusalem, but because they believed what the Word of God said, and they believed the preaching of the Apostles. And so, Uh, And when people believed what God said about who Jesus Christ was, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and by faith they, they trusted his finished work on the cross, guess what? The Spirit of God came in them and dwelled within them. The gift of the Holy Ghost was theirs, just like in Acts chapter 10. So there was a unique thing that was happening that if you were Jewish even, you're like, what in the world? Where did this come from? Well, that's part of what Paul's talking about. These mysteries that have been revealed came to the Apostle Paul and uh and uh, and the, and it was an incredible thing that the church to this day is a steward of that's why these blessings they're important they're important because they help us understand our identity in Christ well so help me i got to keep going here and i'm running out of time so god went beyond the promise of jesus <coughs> that jesus revealed through paul and other aspects of the indwelling holy ghost to those that were saved so what i'm saying is he gave more revelation as things continued so we are circumcised in an operation of God made without hands, it wasn't just like God's filling us up with a cup, and we're going to deplete it in Colossians chapter two and verse eleven. The Bible says, "In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, circumcision is not something a Gentile would normally at this time in history would be privy to I mean not privy. they understood it, but that's not that wasn't customary. It was customary for Jews to be circumcised. So Paul's saying something to Colossians in Colossians chapter two he says that that when you um came to Christ you there was a circumcision that was done without hands, and he's not talking about uh the genitals of a male or a female here he is talking about something spiritual that tra- takes takes place in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. now, if you were Jewish, listen to that you would be going what?" Circum- they're really they know about the circumcision related to Abraham and his seed. They're really proud of that, as a matter of fact. But now he's talking about the circumcision of Christ. Well, what is that? Well, let's let's see what Paul says in verse twelve. He says, "Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the and, your, and the uncircumcision of your flesh." hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, I forgot to bring my board up here. I was going to bring up a board and do some drawings for you, so I messed that up, so forgive me. But uh, basically, what I wanted to share with you is in Genesis 2-7, man is like a trichotomy. He's a body, he's a soul, and he's a spirit. When someone gets saved, when they trust Christ as Savior, there's an operation that goes on inside of them. It's, it's like a spiritual uh, circumcision. Now, obviously, we know that spiritual circum- or physical circumcision takes some flesh and cuts it away from other flesh, so it removes a portion of flesh. Uh, from flesh. Well, what happens when we get saved is there's an operation of God that happens with the Spirit. So, when He comes upon us and seals our soul until the day of redemption, what He literally does is do a spiritual operation and cuts out the inner man from this flesh. Now, this is important. This isn't in your notes, but if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, um, you, you'll know this. I, I just wrote a little bit. I alluded to this today in a blog post. The 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, let's see, where is that? In verse um, verse 50, the Apostle Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot, here's that word again, inherit. We're talking about inheritance. Inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption incorruption. So you D2 students, is the kingdom of God spiritual or physical? Pop quiz. Kingdom of God? if you if you guys in house guess wrong I'm not gonna embarrass you on television here so what do you think it is kingdom of God spiritual I don't know who said that, but it's the right everybody's lifting their hands everybody uh it's the right answer everyone said that so the kingdom of God is spiritual jesus said that it's not visible it's it's invisible actually and it is spiritual so um the kingdom of heaven Matthew chapter five, for instance, most of Matthew is referencing the kingdom of heaven is the, is a is is part of the inheritance that Israel will now inherit because they rejected the kingdom of God. I don't want to get too far afoot on that, but Paul is really specific here in first Corinthians fifteen he says, "Hey, listen, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god right it, It's not going to happen that means your body isn't worth a hoot in the third heaven you ain't going to make it you can't right now to get in the these dudes just Launched off last week into outer space, first commercial flight in the, in the, in the stratosphere here. Praise the Lord, that's awesome. Um, but, you know, you can't do that without a spacesuit because you're not made to go into the second heaven or the third heaven. You're not fit for that. So that's why we got to get a new body. That's part of our inheritance. And when you get saved, what the, what the Spirit of God is doing is cutting away your, earth, your, your, your body from your soul, your flesh and your blood. It ain't gonna inherit the kingdom of God. But your soul will, and then you get a new body. That's gonna be cool. And if you if you're here to the rapture, you get changed. So there's an operation that takes place. So when the Bible says you're sealed, you're sealed. But not only are you sealed, you're also like a like this bottle here is sealed. The contents inside cannot reach what's outside unless I break the seal, right? Well, guess what? Your seal's not gonna be broken. Uh you are you are sealed until the till you are taken out of here. And put in the third heaven and you get your glorified body. That's part of the promise. And so when you get saved, this this operation takes place. And Christ dwells in us via the Spirit of God. So in Colossians chapter one and verse twenty seven, the Bible says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. See, he's saying there's more to this than even the Jews I got a hold of. They're so stuck on circumcision, they miss what that's a picture. Abraham's circumcision is a picture uh, of what was uh, the real circumcision is the, the spirit of God. When you get saved, He cuts you away. Paul says to the Colossians, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, what does that mean when the Spirit of God seals our soul till the day of redemption, till we have this operation of God? Not only does this operation supernaturally take place, but literally the spirit of God inhabits you. So the spirit of God indwells you. Christ in you in me, the hope of glory. Man, that's amazing. You talk about inheritance, that's outstanding. So 2 Corinthians 122 says he has sealed us with and given us the earnest of the spirit. And so in 1 Corinthians 1 2 Corinthians 122, he says, "Who hath also sealed us and given us earnest of the spirit in our hearts now a sealing back in the old days you would you would uh, if you were like a king or a principality, you would roll up a document, you would take a uh, a, a seal a signet, you'd melt wax, and then they'd seal that, that and then it was the real deal, and you didn't break that seal. If you broke that seal, you were in big trouble. Uh, that seal would not be broke till it got to the person in whom it was intended. It was a legal document. Guess what? You have been sealed, just like a birth certificate. Every birth certificate. My wife, didn't you just have this happen? They wanted this, the certificate that had the uh, seal on it. Was that you? And Boyette. Okay, and Boyette. You guys know. Somebody in this church. They, they They gave their birth certificate for some official business, of which I would not tell if I did remember, which I don't have a clue. And they were doing some official business. And they, could, they couldn't they could get the business done because they're like, I'm sorry, a picture of the seal is not enough. We need to have something with a seal. So they had to go get a birth certificate and make sure the raised seal was on it. That's how we do it today. It had to be the real McCoy. And you know what? When you get saved, it's Christ in you, the real McCoy. It's not some faux spirit. It is Christ in you, and by the way, there's no room for any other spirits. So the day you get saved, you may be Mary Magdalene, but all those other spirits are going to leave because there's only room for one Holy Spirit at that moment, and He's going to take up residence and kick everybody else out of your house, your spirit, your physical body. So we can't lose the spirit because we, but we can do this. We're sealed until the day of redemption. We're not going to lose them. Our it's sealed, right? Uh, you had a decision to get saved, but after that well you're taking him everywhere you go and every everywhere you go every path you take literal or virtual he's watching with you and that's why if you're really born again you get that gut feeling grieving going on because the bible tells us in 1st Thessalonians 5:19 quench not the spirit and then it says in in, uh, in Ephesians 4:30 same chapter we already read it grieve not the holy spirit of god Whereby you're sealed into the day of day. You can grieve, you can't lose the spirit, but you can grieve him, and you can quench him. So, what is that about? This this inheritance comes to us via the spirit of God, and you have him in you right right now. And even you are literally Jesus Christ is being drugged through everything that we do. Next time you fight with your spouse, Jesus is right there in the middle of it. If you and your spouse are saved, he's sitting inside of both of you, going, "Oh my gosh, not again! Come on." You're grieving me. You're making me weak. And so and so the Spirit of God is, there's times when God says, you know what, Brian, go witness. This just happened to me several weeks ago now, a couple months ago. Witness to this person, and I didn't, and I quenched the Spirit. Christ was on fire in my heart saying, go! And I said, no. I delayed until it was too late. And then I was grieved. Then the Spirit was grieved. I was grieved for sure. I'm super convicted about that, and because uh, I've done that before and it's not good this Sunday this Saturday we're going to take it to the streets. if God's telling you to go, you need to go don't grieve don't quench I should say the spirit God's wanting you to do something right witness to somebody, share your faith, how, whatever he's telling you to do do it don't grieve this don't don't quench the spirit now grieving the spirit is is, is kind of like when you're doing something you shouldn't do. Right, and you know better, and you're trespassing, and you're like, and you're taking the spirit with you. And he's like, I I don't want to trespass. I'm that's against my nature. And you're like, Oh, come on. And you're taking him places he don't want to go, and then you're grieved, and you know it. That's why people, you know, I've been around. I've been saved too a long time now, thirty years, and I've even I know how it is because I'm one of you. When you're grieving the spirit, you don't want to take him places he wants to go. Right? It's like, well, I know I need to go to church, but you're gonna find you're gonna mow the lawn, you're gonna take a nap, you're gonna do something, because in reality you're not right with God, and you're not right with the spirit of God that's in you. And I know. And you know what happens. What happens when you obey the spirit and you don't quench the spirit and you don't grieve the spirit and you obey. Every time, whether you feel like it or not, typically, when you do the right thing, when you don't feel like doing the right thing, and you listen to God's word over how you feel. You'll, you get the biggest blessing. And you, you come out and you feel like a hundred bucks. You know you did, not just because you know you did the right thing, but there's some blessing awaiting you, or even some revelation that you're like, whoa, some bigger. I, this happened with us, Amy and I, in adoption. It took God a while for to really work my heart because I was selfish and self-centered. So I wanted to have my own child, right? There's no medical reason why we can't have our own child, physically speaking. And you know what? I, what did I do? I grieved the Spirit. And you know how I know I grew the Spirit? Because God, not just because it was my, like my wife's leading me in this, but God put it on Amy's heart long before mine. And so what God did, God had to link up adoption with the mission of God. I mean, the big mission, the mission. Because I was all about that, I thought. And so, uh, remember that? We went to Lee Summit to this adoption thing. Uh, Chinese Back then, the Chinese adoption was hot as a firecracker. And so, we go to this Chinese adoption thing, and this seminar... In Lee Summit, this is several years before we came down here. Oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm uncontrollably weeping like a baby. I mean, I'm just like, it's ugly, you know. I'm just, I'm just like trying not to out loud cry. Why? Because as at that moment, God just, uh, I mean, I went because I love my wife, and I, I was, we'd already tried to adopt, we'd put out some things, and they fell through, and. I'm just like, well, Lord, you're just going to get Amy pregnant. You're just going to get her pregnant. You're just going to get her pregnant, you know. I just, you know. And then God took me to this seminar, and I see all these kids. I mean, they need to be adopted. Somebody needs to adopt them. They're throwing them out, literally. They drop them off on the side of the road. That's not a joke. Or they'll kill them because they can't have more than one child back then. You know, and I'm like, I am the most selfish you know, and all of a sudden, it just hit me, and the Spirit of God spoke, through circumstances even, and he obviously used the word at the same time, and man, I just, I was so grieved. That wasn't me. It was the Spirit of God. It was like a release, and he said, and it was, and when I yielded, and I said, oh man, not only do I want to do this, I'm now, I'm convinced, <laughs> you know, I'm on a mission for God, and uh, it was awesome, and so, and so you don't want to grieve, and you don't want to quench the spirit of God. When God's telling you to do something, don't quench Him. Do it. Don't put the fire out. And, and then also, conversely, don't get involved in sin that you know God doesn't want. Don't drag Him places He doesn't want to go. Don't go fornicate. And then, oh yeah, you just took God. You don't join. Don't, don't join God with a harlot. That's ridiculous. And so, um, anyway, so we can't we can't lose the spirit, but we can grieve and quench Him. So lastly, here Paul speaks uh, specifically. To how you we receive the Holy Spirit in verse thirteen, he says, "In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard, and this is where I want to leave it: the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." This is a great passage because it really gets really practical. We got all of these really heavy-duty thought processes that, that and we—I didn't even exhaust the the teaching on the Spirit; that we could go on and on. That's that, but that is a huge blessing. All things in heavenly places. We can't even understand all things in heavenly places in Christ if we don't have the Spirit of God to teach us. So how do you get the Spirit of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. You do exactly what he says in verse 13 here, where he tells us very very clearly that you receive the Spirit of God when you trust. You know, in whom? And by the way, it's not trusting a You know. A set of factoids, mental, you know, mental uh, consents, or I said a prayer so I'm saved. It's tr- In whom? In whom? You've got to believe that God is, and he's a rewarder to them to diligently seek him. If you don't know that Jesus is God, then you're not going to get saved. I just went through this with a man a couple weeks ago. That's the fundamental issue. Uh, you can want to believe that Jesus is God, but you've got to believe that Jesus is God. And if you don't believe that, what you need to do is study the book he left behind and ask the Spirit of God to teach you, and you know what? He will. He'll reveal himself to you, and then you'll put your faith in him. And when you do, that's what it says here. It says, in whom, the person of Christ, in whom also you trusted. When did you trust him? After you heard the word of truth. You didn't trust Jesus because you were born in a Christian family. You didn't trust Jesus because you were raised in a church. There has to be a point in time where you understand you're placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ who is the Savior and is your Savior personally, in whom you trusted. After that ye believed, believed what? Believed the gospel. Believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he goes on to say, um, after ye heard the word of truth, by the way, you got to hear it to believe it, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Spirit, Holy Spirit of promise. Oh, by the way, that shoots out the... The Calvinist theory that you are quickened enough to believe so that you can be quickened. That doesn't make any sense. You believe because God has created you. You're a human, and Adam's, even though it's fallen, he's given you the ability to hear what he says, believe what he says, and trust what he says, and beyond what he says, who he is. And by the way, what he says and who he is, when it comes to this book, they're inseparable. Because unlike man, Jesus Christ is what he says and says what he is. Him and his word are inseparable. That's why his name is the word of God, John chapter 1 and verse 1. Because he is the only man, listen to me, he is the only man that keeps his word. I'd like to say I keep my word, and I try to keep my word, but there's times I fail. Ask my wife, honey, I'll be home in 10 minutes. 20 minutes later, Brian, are you coming home? I just broke my word. But when Jesus says, you know what, I will save you, he will save you. When he says, it is written, right? When he says, this is all that's required to be saved is call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved, he means it. When he says, whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have eternal life, he means it. And he keeps his word. When he says, your soul is sealed to the day of redemption, you can take it to the bank. Because, man, I tell you what, he keeps his word, and he is the word. So make sure today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus. You need to put your trust in who he is and call upon his name. The Bible says he will save you. So make sure you do that. I'm fairly assured, everyone in this room that I I can look at, you guys have all made professions of faith. So uh, you have the spirit of God in you. Everyone watching online, I don't know about. Those that are members of HBF, you're supposed to be saved and uh, scripturally baptized, so I would, that we're all assuming that we're, we're all in the same boat. So let's not let's not grieve or quench the spirit. But if you're watching this, um, maybe you're watching it a few days from now, man, if you need to know more about how to be saved, call me, 816-380-3033. Maybe you're watching right now. You can call in right now. I'll, I'll pick it up and get to you. Uh, you can email us at, uh, HBF, uh, at uh, contact at hbfcast.org. And uh, we even have a text line. Uh, now that you could text, but I don't know the number, so um, it's 60 260-5834, I need to commit that to memory, and so, uh, man, make sure you got that taken care of, make sure that you know that you are saved, okay, well, I'm done, I rambled on, I'm 15 minutes over, forgive me for that, um, if you're watching this at home, it's too late to fast forward the tape, so I've, I apologize. Um, a couple things as we dismiss tonight. Um, uh, let's do this, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father,